Uh, we're in the third week of our series called Not Ruin Your Family, right? Because uh, we have to emphasize the not. If we don't, then we're just saying how we're just going to ruin all of our families. Okay, so we have to say how to not ruin our families. And I was telling the 9 o'clock service this morning that as a... Uh, Second language, English second language, like this is super like confusing for me. I'm like, why do we have double negatives? I don't get it, right? So we're in the series and how to not ruin your family. And I hope that this series has been a great help for you and your family uh, for the past two weeks. In week one, Pastor Don helped us to understand that the marriage is the foundation, right? It's, it's, it says don't ignore your marriage, right? It's not your children. It's not your jobs. That's the foundation. It is your marriage that is the foundation, right? And in week two, Pastor Med talked to us about the purpose of family, right? It says, don't create confusion. Have a clear vision for your family. Have a clear purpose for your family during this time and, and, and as they grow older as well. And if you haven't had the chance to listen to any of these, uh, they're online at the info.bar. And so you can go and listen to it. I highly encourage you to do so. Today, we're going to the topic, don't forget boundaries. Don't forget boundaries. Let's dive right in. If you want to ruin your family, you will forget boundaries, right? I know the double negatives. Just stay with me, right? If you want to ruin your family, you will forget boundaries, right? If you don't want to ruin your family, don't forget boundaries. Exactly. All right. I know. See, I'm not the only one, all right? So if you don't want to ruin your family, don't forget the boundaries. And just a reminder for, for everybody in this room that this series is not just for the married people with kids, all right? Because we're talking about the Word of God here. The Word of God doesn't discriminate between married people with kids and with no kids and with single people and young, like, it, it just doesn't. Because this is timeless and it applies through all generations and all races, so... Just uh, understand that this series is for everybody in this room. You know, many of us actually already have boundaries, right? We already have boundaries that we've set for our families and boundaries that we've kind of grown up with. And we actually start having boundaries at a very young age. And studies show that at 12 months old, the kids actually start to learn what a spatial boundary is and understanding space and what, what to do and what not to do. And so that's a very young age. And I can confirm that. Like my kid at two and a half years old, He's saying stuff like, don't touch me. And I'm going, but I just want to hug you. I'm your dad. What do you mean don't touch you? Like, so he's learning all these things, and I'm so proud of him for learning that. I didn't teach him. I don't know who did. If you did, thank you. Okay, so I just, I, I'm so proud of him for learning and how to use that in a sentence. And it's just, it's amazing. And so we learn these boundaries at a very young age, and it only develops from there. But somewhere along the line of growing up, those boundaries become to become blurred a little bit, right? Emotionally becomes blurred. Physically becomes blurred. And not only that, even spiritually, those boundaries become blurred. They begin to blur with those around you and, and as well within your family, right? And if we're to be honest, sometimes it's easier to keep boundaries with strangers and friends than it is with your family. Why? Because, well, your family is flesh and blood, right? And it's, it's easier to be comfortable around them. So understand this. Setting up boundaries with your family isn't about putting up a brick wall. It's, that's not what this is about. 
setting up a boundary isn't about putting up a brick wall. It's not about cutting off a communication, right? And, and, and going off the grid and saying, all right, this is my boundary with my family and I'm not going to deal with them ever. Because that's really unhealthy. See, boundaries are a necessary foundation and they actually allow you to have a healthier relationship with your family. For example, learning how to say no. Learning how to say no. I know a lot of us are yes men in here and yes women are in here. Learning how to say no. And, and it's, it's, um, it, it's too often we associate saying yes as obedience to our parents, right? Thinking that, oh yeah, I have to say yes because it's obedient. But honestly, it, it, it's not. It's not. Okay? It's, it's, we say yes because it's easier than the tension of feeling the no. Right? We don't want to say no because there's the tension that happens. If you, diso- if you say no to your mom, your mom's going to be like, right? And then you're going to be like, ah, my mom's mad at me. And then there's this tension and you guys don't talk for like three days. It's much easier to say yes. And you want to know something? And this is not a very popular idea. Okay? Ready for this? When you're an adult, for all the adults in here, all right? When you're an adult, loving and honoring your parents does not always equal obeying them. Loving and honoring parents does not always equal obeying them. For all the kids in here, sorry, you still have to obey them, all right? It's just, that's just the truth, all right? <laughs> Until you grow older. Because God plays with your parents for a season of time, just for a season. And with any, any season, it comes to an end. So when, you, when you're younger, it goes from parent to child relationship, and you grow older, it goes from adult to adult, right? It goes from authority and dependency to mutuality. And there are many other boundaries that we could talk about today, like uh, what time your children should go to bed. Oh, man, I know. They, parents, if you didn't already know, they don't actually go to bed when they go to bed. <laughs> um, uh, how much time to spend on electronic devices. Ooh. How, what spending money looks like. What time to wake up. When to get up the phone. How long to stay when visiting family. Oh, that's a boundary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Learning how to forgive. Teaching our children how to behave in this world. The list goes on and on. But hear me out on this. But if we don't set spiritual boundaries for our families, then all these great perimeters and all these well-intended boundaries mean nothing. If we don't set spiritual boundaries within our families, all these great things, what time to wake up and how to do, doing all those things means nothing. Meaning if we don't establish how to follow Jesus, when to follow Jesus, where to follow Jesus, and why to follow Jesus in our lives and in our families, these boundaries are meaningless. They have no eternal value. So here's the bottom line for today. If you don't get anything out of today's message and you're like, uh, that was, you know, that just kind of went over my head or, or I, would, I fell asleep or something like that, all right? I, I want you to get this right here. Spiritual boundaries must be set first. Everything else comes second. Spiritual boundaries must be set first in our families, and everything else comes second. And we're going to look into the Word of God. I know, surprising, right? We're going to look into the Word of God. We're going to look into Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. And I want you to just open it and keep your finger there or, or keep the page there on your phone. All right? And we're going, to, we're going to go back to this. And we're going to spend our majority of the time in this passage this morning. Because it's such an overlooked passage, yet it is the most, one of the most important passages about spiritual boundaries and following Jesus. 
Before getting to this passage, Jesus had just spoken on the Sermon on the Mount. Right? Chapter 5, Matthew 5, 3, 5, 6, 7, Jesus had just got done teaching. And this teaching that we think it's like, oh, it's, Jesus probably taught like one night. Because like, we look at the thing go, okay, we can definitely read that in like one sitting, right? But in reality, Jesus actually taught this for several days. Most of us don't even like sitting in church for like 30 minutes to listen to a message. Can you imagine sitting for several days to listen to somebody talk? Yeah, no, I, I couldn't do it. I don't know. I, it'll, be, it'll be, I need something to fidget with or something like that. So let's look at Matthew 8.1. So Jesus had done, uh, just got done teaching, this long teaching, and Jesus immediately gains a huge following. Matthew chapter 8.1, it says, When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. Basically, Jesus had that blue check mark on his Instagram, right? And he had said, hey, I'm verified, and I'm influential, and whatnot. And people are just following him left and right. Then without a break in between, Jesus heals a man with leprosy. That's a huge deal. Like, they haven't seen this before. And all the oohs and ahs. And then the centurion with faith comes, and he's like, hey, Jesus, I know that you're a powerful man. Like, I know that you can heal my servant from afar. And Jesus is like, I got you. And Jesus basically, virtually through Zoom call, heals this man. Like, are you serious? Like, he's, it, it's nuts. Okay, so if you haven't read that story, it doesn't really say Zoom call. Okay, sorry, that's just me making it up. If you haven't read the story of the centurion, please go read it. Okay, it's, it's fantastic. And Jesus goes and heals Peter's mother-in-law who's sick with the flu. And then he delivers a demon-possessed man. And then he goes and heals more people, fulfilling the, uh, the, the prophecy in Isaiah 53. Right, he says, he took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Jesus then gets on a boat, and he's like, oh, I can finally rest. And then the storm comes, and then the disciples are like, oh, Jesus, what do we do? And then Jesus calms the storm. And after that, Jesus delivers two more demon-possessed men. Talk about ministry. (laughs) Talk about ministry. And in the middle of this chapter of Matthew chapter 8, Matthew decides to interrupt and disrupt this flow of the healings and the uh, the, the delivering of demon-possessed men and doing miracles to put this passage in. And I don't know about you, if you read anything in the Bible and it disrupts like that, it's a pretty important passage to read. So let's read it together. Matthew 8, 18 through 22. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law, or also known as a scribe, came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Here we see two men who are eager to follow Jesus. They're just eager. They're like, I want to follow you, Jesus. Like, this is, this is, this is what I want to do. Just a little background here on who this disciple is, because sometimes we get it confused. This disciple described here is just a learner, anyone who just wanted to follow a teacher. Okay? Now, some scholars might say that this was Thomas, the, you know, the doubting Thomas. You guys know who I'm talking about, right? So, it, it really, I mean, yeah, this disciple is just a disciple, someone who wanted to follow Jesus. Now, from what we read in verse 19, these two guys are just, again, ready to follow Jesus, excited, like, Jesus, I will follow you. You know, that Instagram person that you're like, oh, I want to follow this person. Or that Pinterest that you're like, I want to follow. Yeah, they were like really eager to follow them to see what he was going to do next. 
And to us, we think that like we think that Jesus' answer to that should have been, yes, thank you for following me. I love you. Let's go do this together. Let's have a party and let's go do ministry together. In our minds, it's like, yes, somebody wants to follow you, Jesus. Like, why can't you celebrate it with them? Nope. Let's see what Jesus' response is here. His response to them is actually pretty offensive and, and almost even cold-hearted and, 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 and just lacking compassion. Read verse 20. Okay, let's read verse 20. It says, Jesus replied, Foxes and dens of birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. What is Jesus talking about here? All this dude wanted to do was just follow you, Jesus. Why are you talking about foxes and birds and that you have no place to rest your head? What does this mean? See, these, the, the words of Jesus might sound dismissive and very aloof. Like, it's like, okay, I guess that was Jesus talking again. But really, there's a deeper meaning to that. Jesus makes it clear to this teacher of the law or the scribe that anyone who wants to follow Jesus, that there will be a cost to it. He says that foxes and birds can claim a home anywhere they, anywhere, and anytime. But for Jesus, ministry means that having no such home. Meaning that staying in people's houses, that Jesus would have to stay in people's houses. He would have to pitch tents and, and stay in the tents. He would have to sleep on boats because he had no home. Think about this. The scribe, a well-educated teacher of the law, grew up with a, in a high education home. Probably had all the comfort in the world. Kind of makes sense that Jesus would say this to this man, right? The sky, I'm sure the scribe wanted to see what Jesus wanted to do. So he probably just said, I want to follow you to see what you want to do. What were you going to do next? Probably known all about the healing and the deliverances. And so Jesus gives this warning that the many difficulties will come following him. It will be a permanent road trip. An uncomfortable and a costly trip. Not a luxurious one. Not a life of comfort. One that wouldn't make anyone rich or famous. One that wouldn't be easy or fun. And what, what response do we see from the scribe? Nothing. There is no response from the scribe. It kind of reminds me of the young rich ruler, doesn't it? Right? Kind of reminds me of the young rich ruler. The rich young ruler asked Jesus what he, he must do to inherit this eternal life. And, and only Jesus' answer would make him walk away sad. Because think about it, this young man had everything. He, he followed all the rules and the laws and the expectations and hashtag boundaries. He followed all of that. Not committing murder, not committing adultery, not stealing, not lying, not cheating, honoring his father and mother. But Jesus' answer to this young man was a challenge to the line that he didn't want to cross. He must let go of his comfort and his ideals, his own, own, own possessions. And through this, Jesus was basically saying, are you willing to follow me at that cost to let go of everything that you know that you hold on to? Let me ask you something here. And, and this is, you know, this is a question that I, I struggle with too. What if Jesus, right now, right now, what if he asked you to sell everything that you have and to go and do ministry for him or to follow him that way? Would you do it? 
to sell everything that you have, everything that you own, would you do it? If Jesus asked you right now to pick up and leave, take your family, take and uproot the things that you have here, the comfort and the lifestyle that you have here, to uproot it, all the friends and, and, and the schools and, and all the things that you have, you have planted, to uproot it and to go somewhere for his name's sake, would you do it? It's a tough question. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I could. But that's what Jesus is asking here. The cost of following him. And let's get a little bit more personal here. What if Jesus asked you to forgive and love that family member who betrayed you? Five years ago. A month ago. Maybe even yesterday. I don't know. Would you do it? Would your answer be, whoa, Jesus, like, you've kind of crossed the line where I'm not willing to cross. And you're asking me to do this? Ah, ah, I'm not going to do it. Or would your answer be, okay, Jesus, I don't know by my own power if I could do it. But give me the power of your spirit to be able to do that. Man, that's a tough one. Remember this bottom line? Spiritual boundaries must be set first. It has to be set first. Everything else, your, your, your comfort your, and your security comes second. Your ideologies come second. What we think our future looks like, what you think that your family's future looks like, or what you think your kids will turn out to be, or what you think that your job security will be, those come second. It doesn't matter if we've done everything good to human standard. If we don't set to, fi- uh, to, to follow Jesus, to commit to him, it means nothing. It's empty. Now let's take a look at Jesus' response to the disciple. Let's read verses 21 through 22. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. I like Matthew, but I like Luke's version better a little here because he goes a little bit more in-depth because Luke is a physician and he likes to be detailed and my, one of my favorite gospels. All right, let's read Luke's version of this. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Okay, what is Jesus talking about here? This dude just wants to follow you, Jesus. Why are you talking about the dead burying their own dead? Why are you talking about this? It's such an easy passage to skip right over because I've done it many times. I'll be reading, I go, I don't know. And I just skip it over and then I just keep on reading. But once we know the context of why Jesus said this, it'll it'll just blow your mind. Okay, let's do this. In those days, in Jewish tradition, it was the oldest son's responsibility to bury the father. Okay, it was the oldest son's uh, responsibility to bury the father. Okay, and, and... not only that, it was a responsibility to, of the oldest son to be near the father who was about to pass away. Okay, it could have been a year-long process. It could have been a two-year-long process, however long it was. Right, it was also sometimes a custom to remain close to the body right, of the father for up to one year to rebury the bones. Okay? So get this. The study showed that the disciples' father was not yet dead. He was waiting for him to pass away because of old age. But it's clear to this passage that we read that this disciple's desire was fulfill that tradition of family rather than following Jesus. Before following Jesus. 
And I'm going to nerd out here a little bit, okay? So nerd out with me, <laughs> right? Because I like nerding out and I like learning things and, and just the, the background of different cultures and whatnot. So in Jewish culture, there's nothing more important than a funeral. There's nothing more important than a funeral. Funeral is a huge part of Jewish culture, okay? And, and, and it's just an extensive process. So let's, let's nerd out. Let's do this. I'm excited. Okay, so the Hebrew word for funeral, it's called leviah. Okay, it, it's, literal translation is this. Honoring the deceased by accompanying them to the grave. Okay, honoring the deceased by accompanying them to the grave. And upon death, the immediate family members, like the, like the father and the mother and the children, right, who are, uh, who are mourning are to recite this prayer. Okay, and if you know Hebrew, please don't uh, judge me for my horrible Hebrew, <laughs> all right? But here, I'm going to try this, okay? They're to recite this prayer. It's called Baruch Dayan Ha'emet. That's a prayer that you have to recite. Okay, and if you're, again, if you're an immediate family, you need to recite this prayer as soon as you hear of this, uh, of this death. It says, Baruch Ata Adonoi Eloheinu Melech Haolam Dayan Ha'emet. It's, it's a prayer that they, they recite, all right? And if, and if you're a bystander or a distant family member, you only say, Baruch Dayan Ha'emet. That's all you do. That's you just recite it. And, now, and right after the death is confirmed, the rabbi is contacted, right? And the burial process must take within 24 hours. That's a huge process. I don't know about you, but all the funerals I've been to, um, it wasn't 24 hours. Let me just tell you that. Right? It's just quick process. It's a quick turnaround. And they did this to, you know, just to honor the body of the deceased. Okay? Cremation is forbidden. Embalming is forbidden. Only burial. Okay, because they believe that that was the right way to do it. And during the funeral, prayers and, and eulogies are read. Eulogy are read. And when the time of procession, right, when, when the time is to take the, the casket and to put it in the ground, they have to recite Psalm 91 seven times. Okay? So let's say that the, the hole in the ground is here and, let, and, and the, the, the casket is over here. And what they have to do, they take a few steps forward and they repeat Psalm 91. There's once. Walk a little bit. Psalm 91, there's twice. Until they reach to the gravesite and they can put, lower the casket down. Pretty interesting, right? Like, I, I thought that was interesting. I don't know, some, some of you guys are like, eh, I don't really care. <laughs> but I thought it was interesting, right? Let me learn, nerd out a little bit, okay? So, and, and then once the casket is lowered, okay, after that seven times, the immediate family members come with a shovel, one shovel, and take, take dirt and put it into the grave to cover it. Now, the interesting part is, that you are not allowed to take the shovel, put it in dirt, and then pass the shovel along to the next immediate family member. Because that might transfer the grief of one person to another. So what you had to do is take the shovel, put it in dirt, put the shovel in the ground, and then the next person will come and grab the shovel and do the same thing until it's done. Pretty interesting. I don't know. I, I thought it was interesting to me. Now, it's just a symbol of a closure, right? Symbol of a closure of death and whatnot. <clears throat> We're not done because, again, I said this is an extensive process okay, of what, what Jewish funerals are. After the funeral, there are two periods of mourning. There are two periods of mourning for those who are immediate family members. First is called the Shiva. Shiva means seven, okay? And it begins immediately after the burial. And it lasts for seven days. And during this time, the family does not participate in any daily routines. Meaning they don't even go to work. They don't go to work. They just sit at home. That's it. 
And not only that, a candle is burned for seven days consecutively. That's pretty nuts. Like, that's, that's yeshiva. And the second morning period is called, a, it's called a shaloshim, which means 30, which begins the first day of the funeral. So it, it takes time with the seven days. But after seven days, families resume the daily routines, but will recite the mourner's kaddish, also known as the mourner's prayer for 30 days. 30 days of prayer. Whoo! To recite this every single day. But get this. This is crazy. If the deceased is a parent, the Kaddish is set for one year. Like, what? I have to say the same thing over again for 365 days? Whoa. That's a lot of responsibility. And after that, there are annual remembrances, rebearing of the bones, the rituals to visiting grave sites and, grave sites and so on and so forth. And I've only literally just covered the surface of the, the Jewish traditions when it comes to funeral. There's so many. So as you can see from this tradition, this wasn't just a thing that this disciple had to do. It wasn't just a thing. It wasn't just a funeral. It was a, it was a whole long process. It, took, it could take upon years and years to, to finish this process. He had to prepare all of this waiting for his father to pass. And not only that, having the weight of the responsibility as the oldest son to fulfill this tradition, to fulfill this funeral. So if he didn't do it, guess what? He was a failure and he was shunned by the family. So for Jesus to say, you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Let the dead bury their dead. Meant, he was saying to the disciple and all of those who were listening, the kingdom of God is greater than your funeral traditions and your family. That's That's offensive. How dare Jesus come and take the tradition away from my family? How dare Jesus, who is this guy, to do that? Not just the tradition, but the, he, Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God is greater than your father. That's an offensive statement to all those who are listening on this conversation. And I'm sure some were disgusted by who Jesus was. I'm sure. Because this would mean that there's something greater than that tradition. Because this would mean that they would have to choose between family or Jesus. And I'm sure it was very confusing to a lot of them because what's one of the commandments in the Ten Commandments? Honor your father and mother. And they're probably like, what is this dude talking about? I thought he was a teacher of the law. But look what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 37, okay? The one who loves a father or other more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That's such a convicting verse to me. It really is. Why? Because, because your parents are not the Lord of your life. Your children are not the Lord of your life. Your family traditions 
are not the Lord of your life. Your job is not the Lord over your life. Your money is not the Lord over your life. Your comfort is not the Lord over your life. See, the very first commandment in the Ten Commandments, you shall, it's, it's, it says that you shall have no other gods before me. And that's exactly what Jesus is challenging everybody here. Because we do, and if we're to be honest, we do put our families as the Lord over our lives. We do put it on a pedestal. We do put our kids on a pedestal. We do put our jobs on a pedestal. And we worship that whether we like it or not. Because you would do anything for your family. You would do anything for your children. I would do it too. I mean, I would take a bullet for my, for my kid. I would. And my challenge to you this morning is, is this. Do you have that same passion or, or, and zeal and commitment or, and, and energy or even more that you put towards your family in Jesus? As you get excited, as, as your kid scores that first soccer goal, do you have that same excitement towards Jesus? That's what, I, that's what Jesus is asking here. Because if we, do, if we don't, then we have a problem. Because there's somebody, something else that's taking the lordship in our lives. I know this is hard to hear because it's hard. To, as I was writing this, I'm going, I don't want to write this. I don't want to preach this. This like, because I'm guilty of it too. And I know some of you may came, come to church this morning wanting to hear the practical ways of creating boundaries with your families. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. That's, I mean, you can figure out how to uh, uh, put time limits on your technology and how to budget for your family vacation. That, you can do that. I'm not going to tell you how to do it. But if we don't get this lordship right first, everything else just doesn't matter. I know that's going against the very grain of this culture right now. And for me to say that, like, it just is. They just become these things, just become empty things that doesn't matter temporarily. It does, is, it, is it temporary things that matter or is it the eternal things that matter? passage only gets deeper. <laughs> you guys were like, what? There's only like four verses. Yeah, it only gets deeper. Okay, so let's, let's, uh, let's keep going. When Jesus says that, let the dead bury the dead, okay? It, it doesn't literally mean physically. Like the Walking Dead, the TV show, it doesn't mean like the zombies come up and like, I'm going to bury you. Like, it doesn't mean that. Okay, it doesn't really, it's, it, it, in Hebrew, okay, this word means spiritually dead. Okay, and, and in Jewish culture, they used the word dead a lot because it literally meant indifference. Okay, it just meant indifferent. Dead meaning indifferent. So what Jesus is saying here is this. Let the people who are not interested in following me, let the people who are not interested in my work, those who are dead in sin, take care of the dead in sin. Let those who don't want to follow me Go with the ones who don't want to follow me. But you, my disciple, go and proclaim the gospel. Hear me out on this. We as followers of Jesus, you and I who, proclaim, who, who profess that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, we are not in the business of burying the dead, but we're in the business of raising the dead. 
We're not in the business of burying the dead, but we're in the business of raising the dead because, because that's what Jesus has called us to do. I'm not talking about the actual dead. I mean, if you did, fantastic power, all glory to God. That's awesome. But we're talking about the spiritually dead here to go and preach the gospel to all nations. And I'm not talking about taking a plane flight and going across the world and do it. I'm talking about your neighbors, your, your friend circles, your, your workplaces to go and preach this gospel so that the dead may be raised. Because that is what we're called to do. The world is full of the walking dead. Just those who are spiritually dead. And for us who have been, under, who understands this hope, who understands that there is life, who are we to keep that just to ourselves when Jesus has commanded us to go and preach the gospel? We're called to give life to those who don't have life. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, he loved the world, he loves each and every single creation, that whoever believes in him through Jesus will not perish, but have everlasting life. And that's the gospel truth that we must preach. There's more urgent things than just saving up for your next vacation. There's more urgent things than planning your schedule around your kids' soccer practice or rugby practice or whatever practice it is that you guys do. I'm not there yet, so I can't relate. <laughs> but I'll get there. And, and this, this will come up in my life too. There are people in your circle of friends, in your circle of neighbors, in your own family who have not heard the gospel of Jesus and they are dying spiritually. The gospel truth is more urgent than ever. And here's the reality. Some will die physically, physical body dying, without hearing the gospel of Jesus. And the Bible is pretty clear. Jesus is pretty clear that no one goes to the Father except through me. And this isn't supposed to make you feel guilty. This is not supposed to make us feel guilty. But this, is what, this should help us to get a glimpse of our Father's heart. Just a glimpse of it. The, the amount of the, the, the breakage that happens in our father's heart. If he sees someone who's spiritually dead and has never heard of the gospel, has never professed the name of Jesus in their lives and they die. The amount that breaks the father's heart. We should feel that and take action upon it to let others know about who this Jesus is. So that God can enjoy all of his creation at the end of the day. Because it is the desire of our Father to see all men, all women, and all children to come to him, to enjoy his presence. It says in 1 Timothy 2.4, if you don't believe me, go there and read it. It says it's God's desire for all to be saved. If we say that we are followers of Jesus, there should be no hesitancy in our lives to arrange for the gospel truth. To proclaim the gospel, there is no let me wait for the right opportunity. Because the opportunity is right now. You already know in your heads when I said this, there's one person that popped into your head who needs to hear this gospel. There is, we can't wait. This gospel is so urgent. And I, I, I wish I could jump out of my clothes and, and, and just, I'm not going to, you know, but I, just, I wish. 
I wish I could to tell you that this gospel is so urgent. It's choosing to believe this word, this gospel truth. It's true no matter what your friends and family believe. I don't want Is Jesus worth more than your friends and family calling you crazy? Choosing to take a hard path of standing the truth of the gospel. Abandoning your family's traditions and beliefs to choose Jesus. Do you remember today's bottom line? Spiritual boundaries must be set first. Everything else comes second. If we don't get that right, then we just live an empty life. Just temporary empty life. And it's not an easy ask. It's not easy because it goes against every fundamental thing that we have learned over the years. It goes against every, every cultural grain there is. It's not easy because it means letting go of our pride, letting go of our comfort for the sake of Christ and submitting to the authority of Jesus. If it was easy, uh, everyone would have already been saved and Jesus would have ever come back. Like he would have already been here and we would be enjoying his presence and everything would be great. So why do we commit to follow Jesus? Why? Because Jesus has given us something that no success, no money, no family, no tradition, no culture, no, no, no uh, customs can give. And it's the gift of salvation. It's the gift of salvation. It's the realization that you and I need a Savior. It's realizing that you and I are no good. Like we are not good. But only Jesus is good. It's this crazy idea that if, even if I was dirt poor, I had negative 5,000 something dollars in my bank account, that Jesus is good. It's this crazy idea that if I, even if I'm hated by everyone and I lose all of my friends and all of my coworkers and I, even if I lose my job, saying that Jesus is good. That's why we come in to follow Jesus. Not for the temporary things of this world, but for the eternal things that we look forward to. The commitment will cost your, your comfort, your personal comfort. It will. Things that you knew and things that you were used to may not be. Things that you thought you were right on, you know, just like the scribe and the young rich ruler. The commitment is immediate. It can't, it, it can't wait for the right moment. It, it's now. See, it requires all of you, not just half of you. It takes having spiritual boundaries in order to make this commitment. And having spiritual boundaries means living a life where everything else comes second. Your family comes second. Your job, your friends, your customs, your, your traditions, your, your, your dreams. <laughs> That's a tough one. Okay? Your dreams and your annual this and that. Those all come second to Christ. Jesus is asking you this. Hey, uh, make up your mind. Be all for me or be all against me. Don't live in the middle, because I will spit you out. That's what it says in Revelation 3.14. I will spit you out, because you are that lukewarm water or that lukewarm Coke that nobody likes. 
So be all for me. Be 100%, 150% for me. Living for me. And preaching the gospel for me. So that all men will be saved. Or go live in this world. Do not straddle that fence. So my question to you this morning is this. Do you want to bury the dead or raise the dead? What do you want to do? Do you want to live a life of traditions and cultures and following with the rest of the world and following after what they say or following after what they think is right? Or do you want to live for the truth that Jesus has given us? Let's pray together. Jesus, we acknowledge that this is not an easy topic. It's not easy to hear. Or, God, we also recognize that this is not easy to live out. It's difficult. But, Jesus, this is the life that you have called us to do. God, we don't want to live for the temporary things of this world where we know that it's the eternal things that matter. So, God, work in our hearts this morning. God, those who are, are struggling right now, God, I, I pray that you would just nudge them towards you a little bit more this morning. Those who are, or who are deciding at this current moment of what to do, to be for you or to be, or to be for you 100% or to be against you 100%. Because we are tired, God, and I'm sure you are tired of us straddling the fence because, God, you've designed us to live for you. So God, help us to make that commitment today. That we will put the right lordship, your son Jesus Christ, to that table. And everything else falls to second place. And God, forgive us if we have ever put anything else above you. God, we repent this morning if we have put family over you, if we have put our jobs over you, if we ever put our dreams over you. God, we want to commit this morning once again to put you at the head of the table. God, convict us throughout this week. Convict us throughout life. Knowing that, God, you are our Lord and our Savior. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.